0: And uh, if I were to tell you all of the people that he rubs shoulders with, you wouldn't believe me, and and it would sound like a braggadocious thing. But I will simply say to you tonight, without any exaggeration, that he could be in any place in this country, matter of fact, around the world, if he desired to. But he chose to be with us for this weekend, and for that, I'm honored. Amen? For that, I am honored. And, you know... I've told you before, but if I'm going, if I need financial counsel, I'm not going to look to somebody who has went bankrupt ten times. Amen. And if I'm going to take counsel from somebody, I want somebody who's done it before and succeeded at it. Amen. And this great man of God has succeeded in many different levels, but has pastored a mega church for over 17 years. Just in this past year, in his assignment, he has raised up a, a church uh, of starting of 25 and in a year's time, well over 300 people. He knows what he's talking about. And so I want you to help me welcome the man of God tonight, Apostle Kevin Milfield.
1: Come on, everybody, keep those hands clapping for Jesus tonight. Come on, open up your mouth and give God some praise in this house. I'm still waiting. Come on, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Oh, he's a good God. He's a good God. He's a good God. Keep standing for just a minute, not for any particular reason, but just because you're going to be sitting down the whole time and I'm going to be standing, so I want you to feel my pain. So... Uh, stand with me for one second, uh, Pastor Rich. God bless you. Thank you for uh, organizing this whole thing and setting everything up and bringing us here. And uh, we're, we're happy to be here at the Nitro uh, campus. But we are, as uh, he mentioned earlier, we're here this week, uh, not just to honor God and to give God uh, thanks for all that he has done for us individually and collectively, but also to uh, appreciate and to celebrate and thank God for the headship gift of uh, these campuses, Bishop and Renee. We celebrate you and we honor you one more time, would you just let them know that you love them? That you love them. That you love them. I am. Uh, I am uh, honored to be here. Uh, I don't take it lightly. Uh, anytime I get invited back to a place, <laughs> there's a lot of places I don't get invited back to. Quite honestly, um, but anytime I get invited back to a place, I I really appreciate that, and I thank God for uh, the opportunity to be here. Uh, I left uh, sunny, sandy Puerto Rico to come and hang out with you here, uh, and I've got to go back there and probably walk to the beach or something Monday or Tuesday. So, pray my strength. And God would help me endure such harsh, difficult situations. Uh, but God is, is good, and, and we are being blessed, and we're seeing amazing things happen. I want to preach to you for just a, a little while tonight. But before we do, I want you to take your neighbor by the hand. Cross the aisles if you don't mind. Let's just take one moment and uh, say one more corporate uh, prayer and trust that God is going to uh, help us in this place tonight. Everybody holding hands with somebody. Father, would you bless the hands that I hold tonight? Bless my neighbor on my right and on my left. I pray that you would pour your spirit out on them. I have no idea what's going on in their world, but I know this. You hold their world in your hands. Now, I pray, Father God, that you would bless them indeed, that you would enlarge their territory, that you would strengthen them, empower them, enlighten them tonight, heal them, establish them in strong faith. By the power of the Holy Spirit, I pray that you would answer a question, solve a problem, and that you would rescue them from any difficulty or trouble. I speak life over you in the name of Jesus. I declare that you are whole and well, spirit, soul, and body. I pray, Father God, that you would give my neighbor favor with God and favor with man, favor in the heavens and favor on the earth, that you would surround them with your favor like a shield. But more than anything, I pray that there would come peace, nothing missing, nothing broken, perfect and complete peace that transcends all human understanding standing. I pray tonight, Father God, that if you will simply bless my neighbor, I will praise you like it's my own personal blessing for this is my heart and this is my prayer in the name that's above every name. Jesus name we pray. Let all the saints of God say amen and amen. Clap your hands one more time. Hug somebody. Listen, hug somebody. Can you do that? Hug at least two or three people before you sit down. And let's see what God is going to do in this place tonight. I mean, you may be seated. I've been uh, uh, wrestling just a little bit uh, all, all afternoon to uh, try to find what um what I need to say and what I'm supposed to say in this particular place. I've been praying about these uh, meetings for just a little while. And when when you you do kind of what I do in this season, it's easy to get into a place where you start uh, preaching things that have worked in other places. And it's easy to miss the, the moment or what God is trying to do uh, in this house Uh, at this particular time. And uh, up until just a few moments ago, uh, I'm just asking God, what is it that you want to do and what is it that you want to say? And I'm going to run down a a road tonight that um, is going to be uh, maybe a little bit different than what I had intended because it is a little more apostolic prophetic uh, in in the sense of it's an easier message to preach if I was your pastor. Because when I'm your pastor, I I can preach things to you that that other people can't preach, and vice versa. Uh, But I want to just kind of step out of that and uh, maybe preach to... not only the people that are here in the room, but also we come with kingdom declarations to powers and principalities of those outside the room because what we do in here has implications out there. And we believe that God is yet establishing his kingdom and that God is is still ruling and reigning, amen. We believe that God is faithful and that he is just and he is still sovereign. He is mighty to save. We believe that he is awesome in power and in word and in deed. We believe that God, with him, there is nothing that is impossible I yet believe that he's a healer. I still believe he's a deliverer. I still believe he's a way maker. Y'all ain't gonna help me tonight. I still believe that God can do anything. That with, with, without him, I can do nothing. But with him, I can do all things because he is my strength. I still believe he saves. I still believe he's a redeemer. I still believe in the power of the cross and the cleansing of the blood. I still believe that, that devils can be cast out and demon strongholds can be eradicated. I still believe that cities can be challenged and saved and won. I still believe that he's a good God who desires to bless me, that he's not mad at me, that he's ready to uh, empower my life. I, I believe that he's faithful. I believe that. I still believe the Bible. I believe the Bible. Uh, so uh, let me just work out a little a little something here tonight that, that I believe uh, we need to preach to us in the room, those who are not in the room, and powers and principalities that are in both places, if that's all right. Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21, we're going to read um, quite a few verses of scripture here because I want you to get the, the story and then I just want to uh, point out a few things here. Uh, in the morning we are at the uh, Hurricane Campus, 10 o'clock, is that right? Uh, and uh, we appreciate those of you who have come out on your Saturday night. I know you have places that you could be and things that you could be doing, so thank you for being here in the house. Matthew chapter 21, if you have it, say amen. If you don't, say hold on. Hold on, hold on. All right, it's in the New Testament, praise God. Matthew 21. Here we go. I'm going to read it to you out of the New King James Version just uh, for, for for language issues. The, the story is essentially uh, the same in at least three of the Gospels. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has needed them. And immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come, Into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple, and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant, and said to him... Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants? You have perfected praise. Then he left them and went out of the city to Bethany, and he lodged there. I'm going to stop there. going to pray quickly and ask that God would help us. I'm going to preach for just a few moments. Amen, Father. Help us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. I I, I don't really do uh, sermon titles so much because, um, in my opinion, we have transcended the days of of needing sermons. We need a word from God. Uh, We need to truly hear what God is saying, uh, essentially because uh, you can have... A, a church setting in what we would call a church service and never have God anywhere near the building. Uh, just because we gather together in uh, the, the principles or theories or ideologies of uh, whether it be doctrine or particular faith or denominationalism or whatever it is, doesn't mean that God is necessarily there. He's omnipresent, but there is no manifest presence of him many times in, in our settings. And so God is calling us back to the days where we, we find him in fullness of power and glory in the house of God again. Uh, so I, I guess the thought or the idea would be as a, as a backdrop in the back of your mind, I want you to take into consideration a story that we just read about what happens when Jesus returns to church. What happens when Jesus returns to church? It's an interesting kind of thing uh, that, that we read in the story, but to appreciate uh, all of it, let's just run the road down for a little while. Most of us know from Christianity 101 and the basics of of, of, of understanding uh, the life of, of Jesus and how he worked and walked with his disciples, that this is a text that we normally only hear talked about on Palm Sunday. We normally hear uh, Matthew chapter 21 with the triumphant entry, and it's usually the message that we preach many times just the week prior to uh, Easter. As a matter of fact, I've never really heard the message. Preached any other time uh, than Palm Sunday because uh, we, we many times get locked into. Uh, clocks and calendars and, and all those things. And our truth and our revelation becomes uh, limited to uh, those those kinds of things. And so we do Easter things on Easter and Christmas things on Christmas and, and all, all that. And, and that's good and that's fine. Um, but the story is is much deeper than just the, the triumphant entry. There, there, there are a lot of moving pieces to this thing in particular because uh, something happens when Jesus shows up. At the temple, something happens when he comes back into the church or he visits this, this church, this temple, for the first time uh it's just a few days before he is going to uh suffer the things of the cross and jesus is preparing in this last and final week of his earthly life uh this he's just got days until they are going to crucify him and it's a uh it's a masterful story on how quickly things can change in your world how that on one particular sunday you've got people who are celebrating you and praising you and talking about how awesome you are and calling you something that you're not even yet and by Friday those same people are screaming crucify him. A lot has to happen in a few days for that kind of transition, because on one level, these people are declaring that he is Hosanna, which is which is essentially a prophetic praise, because the word Hosanna means save now, and actually, uh, when they're declaring this, he doesn't have the capacity to do it as of yet, because he hasn't been to the cross, the blood hasn't been shed, there's been no death, there's been no burial, there's been no resurrection, but somehow they've been able to pick up in the spirit that he has the ability to do something for them in the next dimension that he hasn't yet done for them in this dimension and so they're crying hosanna you are able to save us now even before it's done and every now and then, you need a prophetic praise in your life. Uh, sometimes you don't need to wait for it to happen until you give God a thank you. Sometimes you need to understand that the moment God promised it, it was already done. And you're not waiting for Him to do anything, you're simply waiting for the manifestation. And if you want something to show up in your life, every now and then you got to praise Him before it happens. Sometimes you just got to learn to dance in advance because anybody can praise Him like Miriam after. The battle is over. But every now and then, even with pain in my body, I say, thank you that you are my healer. And every now and then, even though I'm struggling financially, I say, I praise you that you are yet Jehovah-Jireh. And that you will make a way for me where there seems to be no way. Because you're a good, good father. Yes, you are. And they they, they tap into something. Uh, they see something in him that is not yet manifest. And they begin to cry out. But before all of that. Jesus says to two of his disciples, if you read the context of the story and and put yourself in the the picture, he tells his disciples, two of them, go into the city and you're going to find a a donkey and a colt tied to a post. I'm basically asking you to steal them. And bring them to me. And if anybody asks you what you're doing, say to them, The Lord. Watch now. The Lord has need of them. The Lord has need of them. You got to watch this because there are not many times that he uses this particular phrase, the Lord. When he's talking about himself. He takes that thing all the way to the third dimension. The highest order. He says, I want you to let them know the Lord. Not Jesus. Not Christ. But the Lord. Because our God is a triune God. God the Father. God the Son. God the Holy Spirit. We worship him. In a triune way, we stand with our flesh, transcend our soul into the place of the Spirit where we can give him thanksgiving, praise, and worship. Outer court, inner court, holy of holies. Whatever happens in the third dimension is the most powerful dimension. It's not by, nor by, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord. These three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. For unto us is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ, the Lord. Mary didn't have triplets. It's the same baby boy. But he's my Savior in one dimension. He's my Christ in another dimension. And he's the Lord in the third dimension. Jesus says, tell them that the Lord has need of them, and they won't ask you any questions. Why? Because the earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof. So he's essentially not taking something that doesn't already belong to him. Jesus says, bring them to me, and uh, if anybody asks you, the Lord has need of them. So the story goes, they go, they, they find these, these donkeys, and they bring them, and they present them to Jesus. And Jesus does something here that's interesting. He says, "I want you to put me on the colt. The young one. The one that's not yet been broken. The one that has rebellion. The one that has no government. The one that has no order." The one that has no training. Y'all ain't saying nothing. I want you to put me, and, and there are a couple of other gospels who let us know that this is a cult whereupon no man has ever sat. Catch this. Whereupon no man has ever sat. If you don't get this thing apostolically and prophetically, you're going to miss what I'm about to say but I need you to hear this. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, in this next season, I cannot be carried by that which other men have trained. When I'm moving into the city this time, I I cannot be carried by something that men have had their hands on that men have taught, that men have manipulated, or that men have developed. I need to be moved by something that has not been uh, systematically and, and fundamentally shaped to do what it's supposed to do. The reason why I say this is because In uh, church settings globally, we become creatures of habit. Wherever you go in the world, we basically do church the same way. And and it's not necessarily because we find uh, line upon line or precept upon precept in the scriptures, it's just how we've been trained to do church. We come in, we say, Hey, to everybody. We sing three fast songs, two slow songs, and we give you commercials. We call them announcements. Then we see if we can get some money from you. Then we preach to you, we might sing another song. We might give you a couple more commercials, and we let you go. And that's basically how we do church. And we become routine. We become... Trained, we become locked into systems because we've seen other men, other people train us to do things this way. If we try to change it, we are the ones who appear to be rebellious. If we try to shift it because people are so used to riding the donkey the same way every time. All of a sudden, it becomes an issue. But Jesus says, I'm going to be carried into the city not by a thing that has been developed by someone else. I need you to put me on something fresh. Something that has not yet been broken. He understands his sovereignty. He understands his authority. He knows that the the nature of the beast is going to submit to his divine authority. I'm trying to tell you that God is raising up a generation of people that don't have to do things the way that we've always done it. As a matter of fact they're tired of doing things the way we've always done it, because they're tired of riding that same donkey week after week after week and getting the same results. We're tired of coming in broke and leaving broke, coming in sick and leaving sick, coming in depressed and leaving depressed, coming in bound and leave. That day is over in Jesus' name, because something really is shifting. Something really is changing. Heaven really is coming to the earth, and it's more than a song. It's more than a lyric. It's a reality because God is yet moving again in his church and Jesus is on his way back to the temple. If you believe it, just say yes. Yes. Say yes. yes. Jesus says, I want to go back to church but let me be carried by something that has not been taught, something that has not been trained, something that has not been broken. Give me something fresh. Give me something unpredictable. You've you, you got to catch this right here. It's interesting to me that On the day of Pentecost, when they come out of the upper room, it's early in the morning. And people look at the the experience, the manifestation of the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. And they look at these people and they say that these guys surely are drunk with new wine watch new wine. Why do, they, why do they do that? Because new wine is unpredictable. What they are saying is these people have not been drinking what they've always been drinking. Because if they had been drinking what they had always been drinking, then they would know what their limitations are. But these people have gotten a hold of something that they've never had before. They've gotten a hold of something, and they didn't know how strong it was. They didn't know how powerful it was. They didn't know how potent it was. Surely, they have been drinking new wine. Because the move of God, you've got to get ready for this now. The move of God that is emerging, that is upon us, not a one day not a someday. It is literally upon us is an unpredictable move of God where God is saying I am not trying to be contained by your religion or by your rhetoric or by your programs or by your schedules or by your doctrine or by your theology. I am not trying to be limited in my power. I want to pour new wine on you and I want you to be comfortable by letting me be unpredictable. Don't second guess me, don't try to figure me out, don't try to uh, make me a logical God, don't try to explain me, just exalt me, don't try to analyze me, just adore me, don't try to figure it all out, just walk by faith, because I'm ready to move in ways that you have never seen me move in this season, so you've got to let go of all these things, preconceived notions, ideologies the systems the structures the way we've always done it it hasn't worked and it won't work because God is yet trying to do a new thing a fresh thing so they put him on this colt and he starts to ride and before him and behind him A group of people are crying out, Hosanna. Blessed is the Son of David. We honor and celebrate him who comes in the name of the Lord. And the first place Jesus goes when he enters the city is he says, let let me go to where the root of the issue is with the whole city. Take me to the church. It's easy for us to look at the circumstances around us and say things like our government is in trouble or our economy is in trouble or the world is in trouble. But the reason why the world is in trouble is because the church is in trouble. Talk to me, somebody in here. Because Jesus has given the church both the power and the authority to deal with every global problem on the planet. We would need welfare. Talk to me, somebody. If the church was the church. Oh, we, we, we might not even need hospitals. Come on, if the church. Help me, Jesus. Give, give, give me just a little bit more volume so I don't preach my guts out tonight and have to sign my sermon in the morning. If the church rose up to be the church, whenever we found somebody that was sick, we say, the devil is a liar. God has given me authority to lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Recover. In the name of Jesus, be made whole. Talk to me, somebody. If the church was the church, we wouldn't have to get loans. Y'all didn't say nothing right there. Because every time I knew there was a need in the house, we'd rally together with people of like faith, and we'd meet the need on a spot. And no man would owe another man anything except to love him. Y'all ain't saying nothing. Because we wouldn't be under a slavery system. We wouldn't be a servant to the lender. Talk to me. Every single issue that we are facing, whether it be racial, whether it be uh, governmental, whether it be social or economic, God has already provided the answer, and the answer is found in the church. Jesus says, essentially, if we're going to get this thing into alignment, if we're going to bring this thing into order, judgment has to begin at the house of God. The word judgment there is not a negative word. It doesn't mean that, that he's sending us off to some kind of prison. The word judgment there literally means alignment. Uh, if you were ever, anybody, we're the people that were former military. Just, just, just a few. For those of you who were former military, you had to qualify with a weapon at certain uh, distances. 200 meters what, whatever it is was, 100, 250, 500, or whatever. And you had to judge distance, windage, and elevation based on uh, what you knew about your weapon, what you discerned about your surroundings. You had to make adjustments on your weapon to be able to hit the target. Are you with me? That is what the exercising of judgment is. It is to make the necessary adjustments so that we can hit the target. And Jesus is saying, I love my church. I'm going to die for this church. I'm going to give my very life for it. But before we can get to that place, I, I need to make some adjustments with the church as I see it. And so he shows up in Matthew 21, and the first place he visits is the church. Now, his behavior as a first-time guest is a bit odd. Because on his first Sabbath, he bypasses the greeters in the parking lot comes in, goes crazy, and the first thing he does is he kicks everybody out. Isn't it interesting the difference in the way Jesus does church and we? We're trying to bring everybody in. He's busy kicking people out. He says, I can't get the right people in this house until I get the wrong people out of here. And the problem is not a presence problem, it's a people problem. Oh, help me, Jesus. So I'm going to walk in to my father's house, and I'm going to put everybody out. What is it? It's essentially, it's, it's Jesus hitting a reset button. It's a do-over. He's, he's wiping the slate clean. He's saying what you've been doing is wrong. This is not working. This is not the way it's supposed to be. So I'm going to get you out. What is it? It's a symbol of cleansing. It's a symbol of purification. It's removing. Before there's building up, there's always tearing down. you got to uproot before you plant. So he says, I need to get this spirit, this religious spirit, out of my house. And the only way I can do it is to remove it. hmm. It's a difficult thing because if you're not uh, a person of discernment, and if you're not spiritually mature, you'll always struggle when someone has to be put out. It's quiet now. But every now and then, every now and then, you've got to remove the problem so you can attract the presence. And the problem is always going to be a people problem. We were talking with uh, Bishop at, at lunch today. And the struggle in the church is something that's very interesting because people are both your greatest asset and your greatest liability. But Jesus says, I can't do anything with this church, with these people in it. I need to put them out. Then the next thing he does is he starts, and a lot of people have preached it, that he turned the tables. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says he overturned the tables. It's a coup, in effect. It is a changing of authority. It is something that is symbolic because the table represents to us the place where we have been fed. It is the doctrine. It represents our spiritual Diet. What they have been, and Jesus said, "I I can't let you keep eating what you've been eating because it's not conducive to a a a healthy spiritual diet. So I am going to overturn. I am going to overthrow the tables. It is an announcement that there is a new diet coming. It is an announcement that what we have eaten in our last season will not be for our next season." Every time God gets ready to transition you from bondage to life, he always begins by changing your diet. He will begin to say to you, listen, you better learn how to cook. Because when I get you across this Jordan, there's no more manna, there's no more quail. You better learn how to fix some things for yourself because I'm going to change your diet. You will no longer eat the bread of survival, but you will now eat the bread of promise. And the bread of promise is whatever you want. You plant it, you harvest it, you eat it. You no longer have to be limited. You no longer have to have a certain criteria. But I'm going to change your entire diet. Because your next season cannot be fed by your last season. So he overturns the tables. And he kicks out, casts out, overthrows the seats of those. Watch. The seats of those who sold doves. The seats of those who sold doves. The seat represents authority. Talk to me, somebody. A seat is a place of authority. So the people who are in authority are the ones who have been selling, watch now, selling what? Okay, so we we already we have a problem. Because if you understand the context of the law, there actually, number one, there should not have been the selling of doves. Because the church was not responsible for supplying your sacrifice at a price. Just let that settle in for a second. Because if you understand this system, you are actually supposed to bring to the temple a sacrifice... That was in uh, proportion to your sin. Oh, help me, Jesus. So on one week, you might get away with a dove. But there are some weeks you might have to bring a ram or a goat or a bullock or a sheep. Because depending on how bad you were, y'all ain't saying nothing. Depending on how bad you were, You had to pay, come on now, in proportion to your sin. But they had so cheapened their faith. They had so reduced their religion that it was no longer about you having to invest anything, taking the time to raise it up, taking the time to go among your herds and pick out the best of the best. And say, you know what? I have grieved the heart of God, and and, and I can't just bring something to Him that, that doesn't hurt me or doesn't cost me or doesn't move me. I gotta go and get the best that I have out of all my herds and bring it because I've got to offer something to Him that is acceptable. All the way in Genesis, you learn that there is an acceptable offering and one that God will not accept. The difference between Cain and Abel is their offering. And Jesus says, the people who are running this system are sitting in authority and they are selling doves. What is the dove a symbol of? The spirit. They are selling you the spirit at a cheap price, making religion, we would call it now Christianity, comfortable and convenient. Because now you can basically live any way you want to live. Y'all ain't saying nothing. Nothing and come to the house of God and say a quick prayer. Say a quick, I'm sorry, and everything's supposed to be okay. The devil is a liar. I, this is just me. I've had to, I've had to pretty much come, come away from watching uh, Christian television almost altogether. Because I just can't buy anymore that you're going to sell me a miracle for, for $58 or $1,000 and I'm going to run into a couple million or, or, or God's getting ready to fix everything in my life. Because I done sent you the thousand a couple times and nothing happened. Now I'm just mad that you got my money and I can't get it back. You watch it and it's infomercial after infomercial. And you don't have to serve God. You know, you know, it's quiet. You don't have to serve God. You don't have to have a devotional life. You, don't have to, you, you just watch that and send you money and then everything's okay. No, no, no. He turns over the seats of them who sold doves, who cheapened and reduced the Spirit of God to make this gospel Easy and convenient because now it's conducive to everybody. And, and do you understand, I, 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 get the, uh, I, I get faith, hope, and love, and I'm, I'm a grace guy. I believe in all those things like that, but I still believe that there are, there are uh, walks that need to be walked and there are lives that need uh, to be lived and, and that you can't just uh, do anything in any, any kind of way and, and come in and say a, a quick, you know, help me God and everything's all right. I believe every now and then, uh, the preaching of the gospel needs to be painful speech. I believe that God chastens those that he loves. Come on. I believe the difference between a, a bastard and a son is one can take a belt and the other one can't. Oh, help me, Jesus. So he begins to turn over. the sea. And, and you've got to catch this now. When Jesus comes back to the temple, he comes to set the house in order, but it looks like chaos. It's disruptive. It's noisy. Tables and chairs are flying. People are being kicked out. One version says he chases them out with uh, a whip. Oh, good God. Oh, if I could tell you the number of times, oh! If I could tell you the number of times I wish I had a whip to run some people out of my church. Now, now remember, our story is not not a story about Peter who saved but yet carries a knife. Our story is not about Paul who in one season of his life would stand by and watch you get killed with stones, but the next season... Pre- Our is about Jesus. This is Jesus kicking people out of church. Come on now. A compassionate, merciful, generous, loving Jesus is kicking and chasing people because if there's one thing that Jesus detests, it is a religious spirit. And he knows that His house cannot be the house that he's destined and designed for it to be while there is a religious spirit in the house. And he will chase it out in order to bring his presence. Oftentimes, what God calls order men see as chaos they start to say, what's, what's going on here? Why is there such a shake-up? Why, why are things being so disrupted? Why are the tables being turned over and the seats being cast? Why are people uh, leaving or being cast? Why is all this because men oftentimes perceive order as chaos? many times what men call order, God calls control. He calls it manipulation. So Jesus is saying that the wrong kind of spirit has been in control of my house. Something has to shift. Something has to change. So he he, he goes through All of these uh, things by essentially cleansing the temple. And he begins, first of all, to set the house in order. Let me bring this thing back to the way it's supposed to be. And any time God gets ready to establish divine order, you always have to look beyond the apparent chaos at the beginning. Now the earth was void and without form. Then God began to speak. Yeah? This is the way that God moves. This is the way He does a thing. You can't miss that because in this next season that God is bringing us into with Jesus coming back to the church for real. There will be so many things that look like chaos, that look like dysfunction, that look messy and look noisy. But don't miss, don't miss the big picture of what God is trying to do by being caught away by the noise and the movement of what you can uh, improperly discern as chaos. Then watch what he does. He says, my house shall be called a house of prayer. You've made it a den of thieves. So he essentially renames the house. He gives it a new identity. He he says, in order for us to truly shift this place, I, I need to take away... Uh, The things that you have made it to be, and I need to rename it, relabel it, repackage it, re-identify it so that it has a new identity. And make the house what I originally designed for it to be. He says, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Prayer. I don't have a lot of time to go into to prayer, but I hope we understand that prayer is more than uh, God is good. God is great. God is great. God is good. Let us thank for it. Prayer is more than now lay me down to sleep. Prayer, prayer is more than that. Prayer is a lifestyle. Uh, the essence of prayer is divine communication between humanity and divinity. It's me talking to God and God talking to me. So when we come into the house of God, I'm preaching, but I'm praying. Yeah? So we understand. My house shall be called a house of prayer. New name, new identity, new label, new package, all those things. Why? But why is this, this, this concept important? Uh, because we hear even in, in uh, worldly systems that uh, images everything. You're known by your identity. Uh, people expect you to be who they call you. So he's saying, I want to develop a culture. Where people understand that when they come here to this house, they can talk to me, I'm going to talk to them. There's going to be divine exchange between the heavens and the earth. They're going to ask, and I'm going to give it to them. They're going to seek, and they're going to find. In this place, they'll knock, and I'll open doors for them. Because my house shall be called a house Now after he sets the house in order, after he uh, renames the house, something interesting happens. The Bible says they begin to bring to him those who are blind and those who are lame. Those who are blind and those who are lame. Catch this now. Those who are blind and those who are lame. Those who don't see right and those who don't walk right. Those that can't see, those that can't walk, the blind and the lame. And he healed them all. He got back to the core essential message of salvation, which says, I want to change how you see things and change how you walk. Let me bring you back where if you are blind, I want to open your eyes to the truth. But I also want to work on your walk. Because we are to walk out our salvation. And work out our salvation with fear and trembling before God. But I can't walk right if I can't see right. So I've got to deal with my blindness before I can deal with my lameness. So vision always comes before momentum. So he says, let me work on the overall vision, and then we'll get this thing moving. Y'all ain't saying nothing. Let me fix the vision problem, then I'll fix the movement problem. When a church is not moving, when a people group is not moving, when a family is not moving, when uh, finances are not moving, when, when your faith is not moving, uh, there's a root problem, which is vision. Because without vision, people perish, cast off restraint, don't know which way to go, have no borders, have no boundaries. Uh, if you don't know where you're going, you're liable to wind up anywhere. So he says, bring to me... The lame, the blind, and the lame, and he begins to heal them. Now, something interesting happens after this. So, we've got uh, the return of order, the changing of the name, and the moment that that happens, uh, signs and wonders, miracles return to the house. And after, watch now, after signs and wonders and miracles return, then the next generation, The next generation began to give him praise. They began to say, Hosanna. There's some salvation here. Something is different. And and we have a problem uh, globally in the church, especially as it relates to the transcending or the next generation. Because the next generation is not like, uh, I, I grew up in the kind of house where, um, where where we went to church, whether we wanted to or not, um, you couldn't you couldn't tell my daddy, die, I'm sick." And they would be like, "Well, good. That's that's a perfect. You need to go to church if you're sick. Get a bucket. Get in the car. You're going to church." And, and and we 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 saw all of the. Some of the negative implications of that by, by people uh, just kind of getting out and saying nah, I'm tired of all that uh, I, I I'm not signed up for all that but there's a different there's a different day because we're in a day now where it's it's not that the next generation doesn't just want to uh, they, they just not want to be there they just don't they're not interested in showing up if we can't produce what we profess. And so what they're really saying is, I'm tired of hearing about all this God stuff and not seeing it. So you have to show me something, because we're in a culture now where where that, that it is inundated by humanism. It is inundated by intellectualism. It is inundated by by uh, science over theology. It's it's overrun by uh, by the rights of, of everyone to be whatever you can be a, a girl even if you were born a boy and been, and I and, and, you know what I, I'm not fighting which bathroom uh, you go in. If, you, if you're born away, that's what where are you supposed to go? yeah but this generation that is emerging is saying I- I'm not signed up for-, for whatever you guys that older generation has been calling church I-, I-, I don't want that because if God is who he says he is and if God is who you say, he is. Then I need God to show Himself strong on my behalf. And I need to see manifestation of His Word. And, and they do not come back to the temple until the signs and wonders and miracles return. Because it's not for them, it's not just about tell me something, it's about show me something. I need to see with my own eyes, a display of God's power, grace, love, mercy. I need to know beyond, you, you know, I, sometimes I wonder, sometimes I wonder if, if doubt is really uh, Simon's issue. You know, we don't you know, call him the, the doubter because maybe maybe he was just saying, I can't base my relationship with Jesus on, on what you I need to touch him for myself. I, I don't need, I, I can't live off of your testimony. I, I, I need to know for myself that I can touch him with my own hands. I need to know that he's really real. Yeah. I need to know that he's really alive. I appreciate your experience, but I need to know him for myself. This generation is tired of us hearing about the goodness of God and talking about the faith and all this and, and, and not showing up in our lives. And when signs and wonders and miracles return, the next generation shows up and says, that's what I want. I haven't been coming because that's not been here. He's not been here. And they begin, watch now, they begin to cry out, Hosanna. They're saying the same thing that the people were saying out on the roads, those that were before him and those that were behind him. They were saying the exact same thing. Now this is where the story gets a little bit interesting. Because the Bible says that when this next generation starts moving away from uh, all of the human structure and tapping into real divinity and connecting to God, that the religious leaders of the temple got mad, got indignant, became... They're watching with their eyes miracles. How can you be mad watching miracles? One of the worst things about a religious spirit is how angry they get when God touches somebody other than them. blind eyes are opening lame legs are walking and religion is getting mad but their complaint is not with what they're seeing but their complaint is what the next generation is saying do you hear what they're saying They're taking all of the authority, all of the respect, all of the honor away from us and giving it to an outsider, someone who is unorthodox, someone who is not like us, someone who does things differently. And they got mad. Because the next generation was no longer buying what they had been selling. No longer willing to eat what they had been feeding them. And they were essentially saying, you guys can do whatever you want to do. You can be as religious as you want to be, but I'm not signed up for that. I want him. And I want what he's got. Because at the end of the day, it's not about me. It's not about uh, Bishop. It's not about Pastor Rich. It's not about anything. At the end of the day, it's still about Jesus. Can you come and play something? Can you come and play something? Because I'm, I'm, I'm getting ready to stop. At least they'll think I'm going to stop if you start playing. And they come to Jesus and they they. They call him into question, not not for the signs, not for the wonders, not for the miracles, not because eyes are opening, all that bothers them. But, But worse than anything, what bothers them is what the next generation is beginning to say. Because the next generation is crying out for authentic, genuine power. That's not found in the systems and structures that they have been reared in, but found in whoever that guy is that showed up at our church and started turning over tables, kicking people out, and acting crazy, changing the name, doing things that we've never seen before. Maybe his methods, maybe his ways, are not our ways. I don't know what's going on in his head to show up as the first time and start disrupting everything. But I do know this. I can't deny that that man right there was blind, but now he sees. And I know it messed with a lot of people's heads when he started throwing everybody out and causing all kinds of confusion. But I remember that guy who used to sit at the gate, beg, because his legs didn't work. And now I see him walking. You can have all of your protocols, you can have all your something, that's what you want, but I want his power. I want his presence. Whatever that is, and whoever he is, that's what I want. So I'm safe. Hosanna, save now, come now. There's a day that's upon us that I believe is like no other day. Because I believe we have opportunity to invite the King Jesus, come and be the head of His church, the head of this church. The place that I was just working with there in Virginia, I actually just laid that whole you know, the, 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 the time I said, "Just call me. I'm cool. Just be Kevin. You got to call me, Pastor Kevin, Apostle Kevin. I'm just cool, being Kevin." Cause I want to take the focus off of me and put the focus back on him. You'd be surprised how many churches preach today and never say the name Jesus. Because now we're a God culture and God can mean anything. The spirit of the age is not anti-God. The spirit of the age is anti-Christ. Because when you say God, I don't know who you're talking about. You could be talking about Allah, Muhammad, but you could be talking about yourself. But when you say Jesus, that name is unmistakable and it is undeniable. Everybody's talking about, well, there are many paths. No. There's only one way. There's only one truth. And there's only one life. And we would be better served in the season that we're in if we would shift in our thinking and rather than trying to get people to church, start once again just trying to get people to Jesus. Because church as we know it can mess you up, but Jesus as we know it can fix you up. you, Jesus. Bless your name, Jesus. You are awesome in power. There is none like it to you, Jesus. From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, your name is great and greatly to be praised. We declare that you are the Son, the living God raised from the dead. That you are a God of order and structure. That your ways are superior above our own your thoughts not measured by our own but Jesus we call for you to return with your sovereignty come back to your house and set things in order whatever it takes if it looks chaotic if it appears to be disruptive if you have to change and cleanse the house. Whatever needs to be done, do it so that we can get back to the place of your original intent, the place where we have an audience with you, where you open your mouth and you speak, where we ask you our questions, you give us the answers. Place of prayer, sweet holy communion, of worship, place of thanksgiving, that place of praise. Return us to a house of prayer, divine exchange between the heavens and the earth. Return with miracles. Turn with signs and wonders. Bring salvation, the opening, blind eyes back to your house. Heal lame legs for those that don't walk right. Help our walk Father. Raise up that next generation hungry for your power and for your presence that aren't confined or contained to the way that we've always done it but are desirous of something new something fresh perfect praise in this place we might know that this is none other than the house of God, the gate of heaven, where your power and your glory is displayed. Jesus. 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 Glasses on the altar. Curved spines will straighten out. Diseases will be destroyed. People that have been out of work will get jobs. Help you, Jesus. People who have been trapped, they've hit their ceiling. Will shatter it and get promoted. Favor, blessing, and increase is returning. And the next generation is going, watch. They're going to start seeing what we have been saying. Oh, I thank you, Father. <laughs> Aren't you ready to start seeing what you've been saying? Oh. <laughs> Let me see what I've been saying. Let me see what I've been saying. I don't want to just hear y'all want to see. You. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Just let me see you, Jesus. Let me see you in fullness of your power. I want to see you heal. I want to see you deliver. I want to see you change and transform lives. I like that miracle the Bible where Jesus healed a man who has been blind. And you've got dual testimonies. So when they begin to ask the man what happened to him, he's like, well, I, I don't know what happened. I don't know how it happened. All I know is I woke up blind, but now I sleep. But it wasn't just his testimony. There were others around. So that's him right there. I know y'all think it's some kind of magic show or whatever, but no, that cat right there, I know him. He was born blind. He's coming back in a way that not only will I see what he does for me, but other people will see what he has done for me. And it won't be about, oh, come to Nitro or come to Hurricane because they have great music or because they have great preaching. All that stuff is good. That's wonderful. That's beautiful. And we thank God for it. But it will be because come to Hurricane. Come to Nitro. Come to this house because Jesus is there. You might get a message or you might get a miracle. We don't know what's going to happen. All we know is Jesus is in the house. Here comes the next generation. Saying, "I want him. I want him. I don't want that. I want him. Just give me him. I, I don't need a message or so. I don't need the structure. I, I just give me him. I want that power. I want that glory. I, I want his touch. I want his word. I, I want. I want that. Whatever that is, because that's real. That's real. Give me that. Give me him. When it happens, now religion gets upset the spirit of religion has always been to kill the next generation. Whether your name is Moses or your name is Jesus. If we can kill you, you might not get a chance to rule. Oh, help me Jesus. But this next generation is about to see with their own eyes the power of God and declare with their own words His kingdom and His majesty has come. If you believe it, If you can receive it prophetically, would you just put your hands together and give God a praise in this place?
0: Come on, give him a better praise than that. Hallelujah. apostolic anointing don't preach about where you've been or even where you are it preaches to you about where we're going amen and so it may sound even strange in your ears or what you hear tonight but i promise you you've heard the word of the lord amen i don't know about you tonight maybe you feel like i do Desire to live for Jesus It's my desire To live for Him You could see Where Jesus brought me from to where I am today Then you would know the reason why I love him so You can take this world And all its riches I don't need Earth's fame It's my desire to live for Him. It's my desire to live for Jesus. It's my desire to live for Him. You can take this world and all its riches. You see, I don't need earth's fame. It's my desire. Let me live for Him. Is that your desire tonight? To live for Jesus? To live for Him? Hallelujah. Father, thank you for your gift tonight. Thank you for entrusting the gift to us these days. I ask you now that you would just bless us. Take this word and not allow us to just quickly digest it and let it pass, but let it marinate in our spirit. And let us hold fast to the word, to the promise, to the challenge. And God, the prophetic that will prophetic that will speak and not lie, but will surely come to pass. We say, God, shift what needs to be shifted. Move what needs to be moved. God, do what needs to be done, that your house can be called the house of prayer, and that you are comfortable in your house, and God, we give you praise and thanks for it tonight in the strong name of Jesus, amen, amen, praise God.